Hello and welcome to Seafood Matters Podcast, the voice of the UK seafood industry. I'm your host, Jim Cowie. In this episode, I am talking with Adrian Bartlett. Adrian lives in Paintin in the South Coast. We will be chatting about crab, a subject that few know more about than Adrian. Thanks for inviting us, Jim. Um, yeah, um, been in the industry a long time, first generation really, alongside my cousin. Um, and it all started in the 70s uh, when my uncle moved down to Paynton and we used to go down there on holidays. And Nick said to me one day, so come on, we'll jump on a little local boat. And, uh, and that was Shirley Betty, that was with Ernie Lane. I can't remember what year, but I, th- I don't think I was any more than eight or nine. So I was born in 79, so I was a little bit younger than what I was. But uh, <laughs> And then we, we went out, and he, he was still working a few withy pots, and he was still landing with, in withy baskets to a local company up on the key in Paynton, which is still operating in which some sort of guys now. But the first time I saw a crab, Jim, I... I didn't know what to make of it. I was I was definitely scared of it because they brought it up to me and I was sat in the wheelhouse and I, I couldn't touch it and I didn't know. But the fascination from then started, Jim, really, of going out with Ernie Lane back in the 70s over Easter and school holidays. So that's, that's where I kind of started to my fascination with brain crab which i'm still passionate about now a few years on <laughs> and how long when how did it evolve that you eventually come up the opposite end of the country and oh uh, well and coming up to your it? neck of the woods um well basically my cousin's first car was better than my first car i went back farming we're a farming family from wiltshire so his car he had a, if I remember rightly, a, a Ford Cortina 2000E with a vinyl roof. And I had 1100L Escort. And he said, you need to come fishing. So I drove down to Paynton when I was 17 on a Thursday night. And then the Friday morning, I was on his boat at Paynton Harbour. And I just took about two, three days to understand what's going on. And he was showing me how to bait a pot, how to empty a pot. Um, and then one particular day, uh, we were landing in Paynton Harbour and the skipper and the crew of a big boat, Bruce Bennett, he was passed away, who passed away this year, my mentor and quite a lot of mentor. He mentored a lot of people down our neck of the woods, Bruce. So it was a, a sad beginning of the year with him. But they were walking by and Nick just shouted up on the key, do you need any crew? And before I knew it, I was mid-channel, couldn't see any land and thinking, what have I done? What have I done wrong? (laughs) (laughs) And that was on the Helen Clare. And it kind of started from there, really, developing my career from the Helen Clare. And then we had an opportunity to um, jump on the Kingfisher basically, that was working out of Grimsby and the Kingfisher's still up your neck of the woods now, Jim, isn't it, with uh, Neil aboard it. Um, 
and we was working out of Grimsby on her and the Euroclidon. And then the Euroclidon was looking for crew, so I went aboard the Euroclidon. And funny enough, I took Buzz or Neil, the, the skipper of the Kingfisher, up to Scotland the very first time. In uh, <laughs> we got caught for speeding in Exeter. This is a true story in his XR3 I, Jim, right? And we used to do 150 miles driving each and sleeping to get to, you know, because Paynton to Scrabster is a long way. And the first time we drove there, we got stopped. And I could see the coppers laughing, or should we say police people, um, laughing in the car. So Neil got back into the car. And I said, what were they laughing about then? He said, oh, they asked us where we were going. And we said, Scrabster. And they didn't know where Scrabster was. And so Neil explained, and the the, the, the the police were saying, oh, no wonder you're speeding. And Buzz said, no, you want to catch us on the way home. And that was the first time we drove drove to Scotland. <laughs> so, And then, um, yeah, so we was up there with the Kingfish. Well, I was up there on the Euroclidon, um off Cape Roth with um, a couple of ILA lads. And I've got a funny feeling, Jim, that was 1990. It could be 89, 1990, but I come home in 91 to start working the Helen Clare in the English Channel. Uh, my daughter was born in 91, and I was spending too much time away, so I kind of started fishing locally in the English Channel. But... Um, but yeah, so we we come to Scotland and started developing, and I, th I think it's been developed further on. You know, the last time I was up in Scotland is when uh, me and Nick went up there to help load the Ebony up to bring her back down into the North Sea. You know, we honestly thought we were men until we come up to your neck of the woods, and we weren't. We were boys, and I think we're still boys to those boys up there now. It's totally different seas, which we understood, but we learned pretty quickly yeah, <laughs> that there's... we're not men. Yeah, and uh, so and his buzz—he's obviously stayed up. Yeah, he? yeah, I think he's—I um, think he stayed up there. Has he been back? I—I I, I don't. Has he been back? Yeah, time? no. He, I think. I think. Well, we had a. I don't want to go too morbid, but we had a close friend of ours die uh, last year. Um, through illness and, and Buzz come down then with Kerry and the kids. So I think he does come back down here, but not as often as I think he would like. But um, yeah, it was great to catch up with him, even if it was under difficult circumstances. Yeah, he's a great, he's a great character. Fantastic guy. Yeah. I mean, he, got a wee, he got a wee bee bit of a scare last year or earlier this year. It was with heart trouble. Yeah. I'm and He's went into the hospital, got the checkups, and was told lucky he actually had a, a heart attack. Yeah. And uh, my goodness, I'll tell you what, just, well, it'll not be a surprise to you, but you see him walking, he's not drinking, he's stopped <laughs> smoking, and, and losing weight, and, you know, yeah. just. Good. Brought, did a brilliant job. Yeah, I don't know if he mind me saying, but he was, you know, I, I when he first started with us, crabbing, you know, uh, he was under my wing for a, a while. So, uh, yeah, so hopefully 
you know, as I say, our industries, uh, it doesn't make a difference if you work Scotland, North Sea, our, our, our industry is very small in some which shape or form, Jim, isn't it? You know, we're we're up in and out of Scotland all the time with Fraser. I was up in Fraserburgh and Peterborough and we was at the awards and Skipper Expo and it's surprising who you haven't seen for years that you just catch up and carry on if it was 10 or 15 years ago when you in our industry time doesn't seem to play play much in our our industry does it it's just you just carry on don't you that's right that's right it's a great meeting place that sort of thing you meet you know it's the same way you get irish fishermen and it's a it's a right good catch-up yeah 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 newsy over again it's well i can remember walking into popeyes for the first time when we went up to move the ebony and McGuinness was on there before I got out of the car. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. you know. <laughs> so, so from, from from where from there, where is Adrian Bartlett's uh, life gone? Well, my twenties flew by. To be fair, like it does with uh, with us all. My thirties started slowing up, but I realised probably late in my 30s that you've got to look um you you can't stay at sea forever you know you would love to stay forever but you know the mind and the body goes you know i take my hat off to the older skippers and the older crew in our industry but at some point you've got to leave and it's very difficult to know what to do you know because you're on a boat with four or five other lads or three other lads. You're in an industry that's very unique to the world. And when you leave, you're missing something. And it's very hard to fill that missing bit. And I, and I think I found it now. But it is difficult. I even had a spell for some crazy reason. I worked at BMW in a car factory building minis for five and a half years from 2001 to 2006 to just to try to go on the dark side of employment and i hated it I absolutely i i enjoyed the i learned a lot from bmw but that, that wasn't me going into a corporate world let's say or working in that kind of environment <clears throat> so i've I, come back down from Oxford, down to Paynton and jumped on the Ebony again in back end of 2006. So after having quite a successful career on the on the wooden boats with the Creole and the Helen Clare, I started working, well, I didn't work for Nick. I, I jumped on the boat for nothing to just to see where it would go. Um, and within a week of being on there, the, the boat phone was phoning and there was a load of owners saying, oh, could you come and skipper our boat? Can you come and skipper our boat? Um, so I come straight back into fishing again and I started working, um, just, just for one short season on the Etoile de Sons for Robbie Simmons. And then me and Nick was talking one day and where my life changed within the industry to where I am now and what I do now with the public and with the chefs, um, all kind of started and, uh, over a couple of Guinnesses, back in 2011 um, that me and myself and Nick, we started up the really interesting crab company and we were delivering 
shellfish from the Helen Clare and the Ebony direct to chefs and direct to the restaurant trade, not the public at this point. And I had one customer in 2011, I'm led to believe, and then we grew up to about 140 customers. But I found Jim really quickly, um, and we was concentrating in the Cotswolds, and then we got pulled into London, that the chefs, put it politely, was naive towards UK caught seafood. Um, they honestly thought fish swam filleted, crab meat come in a pot. They didn't think it come from an animal or a crustacean or or anything like that. And there was a there was a lot of misguidance. And chefs want to pick up the phone at eleven o'clock at night, phone your order through, and a mushroom's got to be the right size. It needs to be a straight cat. They were acting like supermarkets. Everything's got to be uniformed. And so I thought, right, I've got to change this somehow. Uh, and through the really interested crab company, we used to do um surprise boxes um we used to do a minimum of a, a 50 pound box up to a 200 pound box of fish but the chefs didn't know what was in there so my challenge was then is to get these chefs to understand whole fish and that was our biggest market um i won't mention chefs names because you know i'm still associated to a load of them now and they you know especially with brexit coming on um, but one chef, I went in, I and I never made one appointment. I just used to walk straight in off the street. And if they didn't like me and they kicked me out, there's plenty of places around. <laughs> so and one chef said to me, he says, right, I've heard about you. Bring me your best next week. So I took him at the best South Devon fish and crab and lobster. And he opened up the box and obviously it was all whole. <laughs> he said to me, what am I supposed to do with that then? I said, well, <laughs> put it on your menu. He said, well, it's got eyes. It's got guts. It's whole. How am I supposed to deal with that? And, I said, and this was a top-end fish restaurant in Oxford. You know, they, they made their money on fish. And I'm still brilliant friends with him now. And it was him that launched me, funny enough. You know, so I knew there's a lot of work to be done in the UK with high-end chefs or media or people in the hospitality against our fish and seafood and it's moved on from there in different wondrous ways really Jim. <laughs> that's, fun, that's fantastic and did he did he come round to you were you thinking or did you have to get them filleted for him? No one of my best customers one of my best customers Excellent. because well, it was him, funny enough, um, going back even to 2012, where my life changed a little bit more uh, with the public now. Um, the really interesting crab company was invited to a food festival in Oxford. Uh, and through this one particular chef, got us a pitch there. And he said to me, <laughs> he said, I'm on stage tomorrow. Uh, it was over an August bank holiday, it was a Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So it was a Sunday. He said, I'm on stage tomorrow. If you come up and pick a crab uh, and I'll ask you a couple of questions, I'll do a crab dish. I said, yeah, no, brilliant. You know, I said, but I've never done anything like this before. You know, fishermen go to sea for a reason. We're not really, we don't like people that much, do we? <laughs> 
so it's very difficult. You could, I've always said, Jim, you can always tell a fisherman in a high street because he's the one with his head down. He don't want to be noticed. <laughs> so when you're up on stage, it's a bit different. It's on YouTube as well. I, we had a friend film it. Anyway, he never turned up on the Sunday. So there's this hour slot kicking around and the organisers come to me and said, look, do you want to do it on your own? And I went, oh, I can't. I can't do that. And um, they bugged me and I says, no, all right, then I'll, I'll do it. And I, was, I followed Raymond Blanc. He was on before me. And uh, there's uh, the Italian couple down in Bray, the Calcazis. They were behind me. And I'll tell you what, my pants couldn't hold any more in. I was really that bad. So um, they brought me up on stage and I thought, well, I know about crab. I know about fishing. Let's just break it all the way back. And then it, it kind of started from there, really, with um, forward facing to the public to try to eat more seafood, like, you know. And, uh, but I had one chance meeting um, with a lad called Andy Hunting at that festival he was there to review the festival uh, he's got a website called andy's kitchen and it was the biggest food blog in europe and i come across his number uh and i've i phoned him up and i said look I, I can't remember meeting you but i've come across your card i said i need some media support here on how to get the message across for the public and he said well what are you thinking of doing <laughs> And I had a mad idea. I said, I want to set up the UK's very first inland seafood festival. And he kind of looked at me and put the phone down. He thought I was crazy. <laughs> he phoned back about two, three days later and he says, I've been thinking about it. I think you could be onto something. So we set up Crabstock Festivals and we managed to do five festivals inland but it's very difficult to get sponsorship and money because people couldn't understand that you walk into northampton there's a hundred ton beach there there's a victorian pier there's boats and it's all it is seafood and i think it needs to be done again now it's all right holding seafood festivals on the coast that goes hand in hand doesn't it you go to the coast there's a seafood festival one but when you put it inland there's a square peg in a round hole people can't get it that's like going on to newland market or brixham market and owning a butchery festival or a barbecue festival but that's the community we managed five festivals you know we we done well but we just couldn't financially support it but it's like taking the mountain to muhammad oh yeah and that's, that's where we need to hold it jim is inland but out of that yeah. come my unique pop-up restaurant crab stock and two smoking lobsters out of that festival come me and Andy as the Crabstock Boys. And for eight or nine years, we've been on the road doing 20 festivals a year all the way around the country, promoting seafood. And so it, everything, it's got to be positive, even if something doesn't quite work. You've just got to find the positivity out of it. And now we get, you know, this year's a little bit slower, but, you know, and obviously the pandemic hit, but, you know, we're still going strong as the Crabstock boys. I was at Plymouth this weekend shucking some or cutting some scallops and picking a crab. And yeah, 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 again, you know, I walk up on stage with me and Andy. We're really cheeky. And one one fictitious food festival, we just turned up with whelks. 
and that was it. And we'd done seven dishes with Welks, and we got a bigger audience and some of the named chefs up there doing foams in dehydrated cucumbers and stuff like that. Like, you know, we just went up with the humble Welk. It's not yeah, about, it's the ingredients. Yeah. It's about the ingredients yeah. that yeah. takes you wherever you want to go, like, you know. I'd, I often say, Adrian, it's not about the chef, it's about the food. Yeah, most definitely. It makes you wonder where where you can get with a whelk, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've obviously got quite... That's, a, that's fantastic. And my goodness, it's and really interesting listening to where you've come from because, my goodness, how crab has been so important in your life. Yeah, I know. I, I, you, you want to see my office at home. <laughs> Not say I've got a, a fascination and a fetish over crab, but everything's just crab. <laughs> yeah, well, starting with starting with crab and then fishing for crab and yeah. crab stock boys and uh, two. I, I think it's fantastic, well, and it's, it's so it's so important for the industry. Oh crikey, yeah, there needs to be. I've you know I've always said there needs to be more advocates in our industry. We can't. We can't let other bodies determine our future. We've got to determine our own future. Uh, you know, with crab stock and two smoking lobsters, our pop-up restaurant, we used to get booked a year ahead for that. Um, and we used to do about five or six locations throughout the UK. As soon as we've advertised it, we used to sell out straight away. And I don't think we could do it now because the, the price of seafood, but we used to charge 50 quid. And on that platter, you would get... A, Brown crab, lobster, fiddlers, whelks, uh, scallops, oysters, mussels, langoustines. I used to get come down for all 50 quid. And we used to have 50 covers a day at the food festivals. But then we used to have some of the big chefs used to come and dine with us. You know, I won't mention names because it would be unfair, you know, who used to come and dine with us. I did say, well, once we had George Lucas from Star Wars eat with us, him and his family, wow. which is a, an eye opener, sitting next to him. <laughs> it's very difficult not to do R2-T2 with him. So that, you know, <laughs> yeah, walk around like a, a robot. <laughs> you are my yeah. father. <laughs> so that was an no, eye opener. Oh, it's fantastic. So really, you've, uh, you've, it's almost in some ways like you've stumbled on things because you never thought you liked crab and you've been in it all your life and you weren't sure about uh, taking the stage and you're now you're, <laughs> you're oh, a permanent feature yeah, in your it's, life. It's, you know, and all I go round with is a teaspoon, a rolling pin and basic stuff. But we just have a laugh. We just try to get people to have a go. I would... I wouldn't say that. What what's coming across to me is maybe a teaspoon and a rolling pin, but I'm fountain of knowledge. Well, you would hope an so. Expedi- ex- an experience in the industry, and nothing, nothing. There's no substitute for experience. No, I couldn't have done this 25 years ago. I wouldn't have had the confidence. But it's only it's just strange, Jim. Where where it all goes, you know. Um, it's like. Two years ago, my other my partner Sarah, you know, she's a qualified chef, you know, and quite a talented fish chef as well. 
you know, because all we've been eating for the last 20, 30 years is seafood, really. And you learn more in the kitchen over a piece of fish and you can go to any school with you, you know, a recipe is only a guide and you adapt and you, and I've always pushed Sarah to better herself all the time. And she was, we used to get two chefs in when we had the crab stock and two smoker novices with Andy and she was learning to be public facing as well because chefs, as you know, you know, is you, you don't see your, customers do you unless you make a purpose of going and actually seeing them and then a couple of years ago um we had an opportunity to open a little seafood bistro down in Painton Harbour called the Curious Crab um we managed one year and halfway through last year but staffing levels as you know and it, it, it unfortunately a couple of couple of things it just didn't work out but we knew what to do with the Curious Crab was just simple it must have we must have had we opened up on august the 1st we had a load of support from loads of people we had six days to turn it around you know um you know where i where i'm sitting now is in the ecomotus um office in jason monroe in kirsten monroe they were brilliant you know kirsten designed the menus jason was trying to do a little bit of the poor electrics and running around and doing this and I used to do a little bit on Radio Devon, so I phoned Kerry White up uh, that I go on her show. And we don't forget, Jim, we only sit 23 inside, and we had four tables outside. And I'd done a live broadcast on BBC Radio Devon. We'd done 220 covers on the first day. And I had to shut <laughs> for, I had to shut one day the following week so our feet could catch up with our bodies. It was just mental. But everything there was just caught delivered same day and on the menu that night you know and we had a basic menu but we just worked on specials just what was caught in Devon and as we kind of moved forward we took salts and peppers away we started using seaweeds a seasoning you know we put a, di- a chicken dish on and we put a burger on but the uh, and it's silly having a bit a seafood bistro right on Peyton Harbour and you're not using fishermen from Paynton Harbour. Um, so they used to phone me up at two, three o'clock in the afternoon and say, right, we've got this, 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 and this. I says, right, I love that. And outside the, the bistro was two big yellow boards and it's what's coming in that day. And the strap line was, once it's gone, it's gone, but we're here tomorrow. You know, cooked to order, cooked fresh. We made our own sauces and it, it was just really popular. And then, a couple of things that made it unique as well. We never, I'm, I'm giving secrets away here, but you don't have to be fancy to do seafood. You've just got to let the seafood do what it was. We never had table names. Something that you might be able to take over up there. All our tables were names of fishing boats that fished out of Peyton Harbour. You know, the Independent, the Helen Clare, the Shirley Betty, uh, the most prominent one out of Peyton Harbour where we lost a couple of friends in the early 80s the my emma and people used to book up their favorite tables the, the little t- we had a little table of two and our mackerel comes off a boat called la petite patou and it was the smallest one and then somebody says oh how can we leave a review so i give them a sharpie and they started writing up on the walls and the whole walls were covered and that's real 
if you can see comments in real time, that's better than any TripAdvisor or Google. Anybody can put whatever they want on there. But if it's up on the wall in Sharpie, done there and then, I think that's the best advocate. But we, we, you know, we must have made it look easy because other people tried following our footsteps and plowed loads of money into places down petting up and are not making it work. <laughs> so I don't. We've done something right, Jim. <laughs> and is that all over the wall? Oh, everywhere. The walls, the ceiling. If we run out of room, we'd pick another wall. And it was quite warming, really. And it was all nice comments about the food. And then the service comes second, you know. So, um, and it's all to do with the seafood. Just simple, plain, out the door. If it was gurned in chips, it was gurned in chips. You know, nothing else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And what's better than a garnered? I know. Brilliant, isn't it? Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely wonderful fish, yeah. Yeah. So that's really... No wonder you needed to stop. I think you should have needed to stop a few times to let your, as you called it, your legs catch up with the rest of your body because you seem to not step stand still for long. I don't think you can, Jim, especially in our industry. There's a lot of problems with our... Un- Whether, as I said said earlier, that it'd be nice if other fishermen and other skippers or anybody within the industry to be more forward facing, be get get the public to to see them and to understand there is a fishing industry because the public could go down on any harbour. They sit there with an ice cream and a pasty. And they look at the boats and they don't understand the history of the harbour. You know, they don't understand what actually goes on. You know, you know, I've dealt with loads of public over and they, and yet again, if, if our chefs, I don't think it is as bad now with our chefs. Um, I think they've had to learn pretty quickly. And I think that's only the pressures from the public. It says, right, where did that piece of chicken come from? Where's your lamb and beef come from? Oh, by the way, where'd you get your fish? And I think they, the, the chefs had to say, well, it, it's, it's caught caught in Scrabster, it's off the Kingfisher, or it's caught in, well, where's the turbot come from? Well, it's off a day boat in Brixham. And I think they've had to do that now because what we've done with a really interesting crab company, we was, I think we was ahead of the game in 2011 and 12, we used to say where it all used to come. And I used to walk into the, some of the top restaurants in London and in the Cotswolds. And on the pass, they put blackboards up or whiteboards. And I used to name the boats where everything come from. And I used to do uh, a lot of front house training as well, which I still do. Um, so a restaurant would pull me in, work in the kitchens on yield, what to do, what to use, you know, the tongue now, the cheeks. It's like I'm starting to use scallop skirts now uh, on the stage in Plymouth. I cured and cooked up scallop skirt. Beautiful. You know, use it for garnish or, or whatever. It's to get them to understand. And then I used to pass that on to front of the house. So if you're sat down and there's a nice bit of turbot presented to you, instead of the customer saying, oh, where's this turbot from? Instead of them saying, oh, I'll go and find out, the front of the house then says, oh, you know, it come in yesterday it was caught from this boat and it's trying to get the public connected to to that seafood in anywhere any gaze and i always 
say to the public, just look for the three W's really, or as the three W's is when it was caught, where and who. And I think you're pretty well there then uh, on 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 your seafood, yeah. if you see what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. My my menu every night has a footer with the name of the boat that landed the fish. Yeah, every night. Got to be in it. And I think, uh, as it as it called as it's called nowadays, traceability. Yeah, yeah. And what what are better traceability is in telling them who caught it, where he caught it. Yeah. <laughs> and when he caught it, it's yeah. no better traceability than that. No, it, and it's not easy. It's not that difficult to do because if they're selling on a market, you know the name of the boat that the the, the wholesalers are buying or the, the buyers are buying. You know, um, and as you know, as as well as we do, we export everything. We're still trying to export everything. There's been a massive hold on imported fish. But how do you get to the public to go and eat another two portions of fish a week? <clears throat> I don't know. Apart from keep having a go, really, and just trying it's, it's to what, get that connection, isn't it? It's what the industry has to start looking at. Uh, most definitely. Most definitely. You know, I was in the fortunate position uh, last year to be made up of vice chair of Fishing Into the Future. And we was in Scotland a couple of weeks ago at the Skipper Expo launching our new Porto website. Um, first reason was um, to get a one-shop stop for the fishermen to find out about MCA problems, how the structure works, scientists, you know, that's how we've constructed it. But, I'm, you know, we're slowly moving down as a charity, which is um, a neutral charity in the UK. You know, it's been going since 2015. It's to try to get more public facing as well, where where you can source where you can find I know there's some brilliant websites out there now through that pandemic had a problem and a lot of fishermen or wholesalers had to change their tack quite quick to keep a bit of fish moving on and I think there's some you know yet again there's I won't mention companies or names because it's not fair to promote one and not to promote but there's some fishermen now that sell selling direct to the public and I think we need more of that, to be fair. You know, so the industry has changed in the last couple of years because of the pandemic, for sure. It's interesting. One of the terms I often use, Adrian, is one of the, one of the positives out of the pandemic was we discovered when we discovered a market we forgot we had. Yeah, uh, definitely. You step into Europe and you know where your stuff comes from. We don't know where it comes from in England. We're still far behind, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, but we need to catch up and we need to get going. How do you see, you know, I mean, you're also, a, are you still a Seafish ambassador? Ah, right. I was at a, I'm a trainer, an accredited trainer for them. Um, I was at a reception last week, uh Seafish reception last week. And I think I was talking talking to Seafish, and I think the ambassadorial role is not there anymore. Uh, so they're looking at other aspects. I was, um, but I think they're changing the structure of Seafish a little bit, and I don't know if it would be an ambassadorial role or 
another another role with them. So uh, I can't really say much more than that, but I was, yes. Okay. Yeah, but I, I just feel that what the industry needs, do you know, I would like to get your view on it. I think the industry badly needs people exactly like yourself, industry people marketing, you Gotta know, be. doing it. Yeah, Take it. the industry taking control. Yeah, I know people see sea fish in different lights and different guises, but they are there. And I think sea fish can only get better by the input that fishermen and wholesalers can give them. They can only lead so much, but they need more information from people to change the way they look at stuff. Um, you know, it's funny when me and Andy was in our full flow um, before the pandemic with our social media outlets, you know, between Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and the websites was getting a million hits a month. And that's takes a little bit of doing, but we was probably about four years ago. I think we was the most hit duo in the UK through sea fish. You know, it's phenomenal. We was putting videos up and doing stuff, getting 20, 40,000 hits within hours. You know, but it's only running social media correctly. But now I think social media has changed since we was working it down. I, I, I will say now social media is two, three seconds long. If you're not caught in the first two, three seconds, you keep scrolling. You know, I think social media has gone the other way now. It's it's too quick. You've got to do a lot more work to get that, that them stopping and watching you now. So, but, but you're right. It needs... There's some brilliant people around the country um, pushing seafood, and but I think we could do with a few hundred more. Really, it's there in you know I'm not actively fishing anymore. I've got no companies actively in the industry. I'm not making any money from the industry, but I'm still pushing their industry. They need to in a minute. I'll have to move on to something else. They'll have to start pushing their industry. You know, I, I don't even get the crab and lobster for free to demo with anymore. So. They, you know, when the Adrian Bartlett's of the world go and there's brilliant people, all that, when they move on to something else, they need to start thinking, well, somebody needs to start pushing this in a minute themselves. And that's not being cruel or rude. You know, if I can carry on doing this until I, I peg it, I will. But I can't yeah, carry on forever. You need to get rewarded. You can, no, nobody can carry on forever without getting rewarded, and you should be. And the industry should be. I've had, a, I've had an interview later on today with a guy, I'm sure you'll know him, Jimmy Buchan. Yeah, yeah, I was with Jimmy up in uh, Scotland a couple of weeks ago. Well, I'm talking to him uh, you know, sh shortly, and I see him as the exact same. Industry, you know, come, huge... They lots of experience, been a fisherman, knows the industry. He's ashore now. He was he's bought Amity. He's now Amity Fish, and uh, he's lifting awards right, left, and centre. Yeah, no, I bumped into Jimmy but, at the Skipper Expo uh, for sure. Because, um, but you're right. When what? Yeah, you know, I bumped into Jimmy in China. You know, and we become, you know, every so often we bump into each other and, 
you know, you need another load of jimmies up there. You need a load of other people down here to, to keep moving it forward. But, yeah, he's a massive advocate for your your seafood, for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, like, you know. But there's only so many hours in the day, Jim, uh, Jim in there to do what we need to do. That's that's right, absolutely. And there need, as you say, there needs more. If there need more Adrian Bartlett and Jimmy Buckins, and there is, there they are, there are plenty. We need just need to motivate it and get, you know, and it's a wonderful product we're selling. Yeah, best in the world, isn't it? Best in yes, the world, absolutely. Most diverse best and best in the, best in the world. world. You know, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And another thing I often tell my customers when I go around the tables is it's the biggest the UK. It'll be the biggest multi-species fishery in the world. Yeah, people don't realise that, do they? But then, you know, it's just our industry leading to the future now, really, uh, where I'm sat now uh, and what we're trying to achieve. But the the industry's been hit three ways really and it's been hit by brexit it's been hit by the pandemic and now it's been hit by the conflict or however you want to call it between russia and ukraine you know um so in europe we've been walloped in in three different areas in below the belt in um but there's what 67 million people in this country and surely there must be a way of tapping into that lot to you know to try a different piece of fish or or instead of asking for a prawn cocktail uh, and we know the prawns are farmed down in somewhere in bangladesh or india is have a whelk cocktail or diverse use the lesser species do the harder species you know we was in peter ed the week before and i've never seen so much fish in all my life and last week they landed at 17 boats, 5,520 boxes of fish. Where it's all going abroad, and that is, is that's where it's a little bit wrong, really. Well, one of the things that concerns me, Adrian, is we're hearing about just now about the issues with Russian fish. Thirty percent of the friars in the UK, they're use Russian fish, that's 30% Russian. But as far as the friars are concerned, as you well know, it's over 90% of the frying comes from abroad. And I mean, you'll read in the newspapers or hear in, in a news bulletin that fish and chip shops are thinking they have to close down and yet the Scottish fishermen have a have a select a grade of, of especially for that trade, and it's called chipper haddocks. Yeah, <laughs> you can go to any fish market in Scotland, and when boats are landing, one of the grades is a chipper haddock. Yeah. So <laughs> why do they need to close? I know. I, if I opened up a fish and chip shop, you'd be using UK fish, wouldn't you? I, I don't understand by... Well, that's just how the world moves, isn't it? You know, it's cheaper and more convenient to buy it somewhere else because they're paying the levy to get it here. You know, and sometimes, you know, I've always had this thing between Canadian lobsters and native lobsters, and I can get booted out of London, London over 50p difference, and they're buying Canadians cheaper. But they got that disease it's highly regulated it's 
you know, now what's happening with the new animal welfare sentiments now that's coming in online and it's more and more difficult and surely just a simple gym, just go local and it you've got to just go local. Absolutely. Local for everything. Absolutely. I think it'll end up yeah. save okay, you've got to move bulk on. You know, obviously China with crab, you've got to move bulk on, but surely you restrict them and just move on a local market. You know, but absolutely, it's the same with local shops. I we just, I just take the attitude: if you don't use them, you lose them. And what are we going to, what are we going to do then? But I mean, as you say, we have the most wonderful product in the world, and uh, there's there's a mismatch between the the end user and and the fisherman. And I just think people like you are. And that Jimmy Buckins and Adrian Bartlett are so important to the industry. Yeah, it'd be nice to be recognised one day, Jim, for that. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, right, hey, yes, I, but, I'm, but I'm not in it to be right, recognised. I'm just doing it because I love it. Simple as as, no, simple but, as. You know, yeah, yeah. Well, it's if my you, life, and I don't know. You say I would do something else, but I don't know anything no, else. Trevor, if if people start looking for something back i think that's where you know you've got to be unselfish towards what you've got to do if i set on this road to look to have something at the end of it i probably wouldn't keep going you know you just do it because you love it don't you and it's what i've what i've always known really so i'm not looking for anything from the industry at all i'll get enough from it but as you say you just got to keep trying to but my time now is getting less and less um because um, where where I sit now with the future, if I can carry on doing a few demos, but I'm sat in an office now, um, and I got introduced to uh, a lad called Jason Monroe uh, two and a half years ago, and um, through a mutual friend of ours, and it was in January of the year of lockdown. Um, I know we're in 2022 now, but I, I'm no good with time or days, months or years. It's just just goes ahead and he and I, I sat with uh jason with uh, a friend of ours and he started talking to me about hydrogen and uh the effects what hydrogen can do uh, and the benefits of what hydrogen can do uh for engines diesel and petrol engines <clears throat> so we had about three or four cups of coffee and i listened to him and I sit here two and a half years on, I still don't understand his mind and his brain and his brilliance, but I understand the effects of what hydrogen can do within the marine industry. So I was still working for a crab company down on the South Coast. Um, and then I thought, well, there must be something into it. So mine and Jason's relationship started working and I, I got introduced to his wife, Kirsten, and in the relationship started developing for the understanding and as we sit here now um our system's called the eco pro and we're up on a couple of boats out of peterhead and fraserburgh now we're on one of sandy west's boat and a few other boats up there and the way the price of fuel's been going and it's just gone off the chart uh brixham moved up three pence from yesterday it's 86 p.m and i know some places are around a pound now. So I started working with Jason and Kirsten, and I says, look, the only way we can get on boats uh, on a 
legal aspect is one is we need to talk to the MCA. So I phoned them straight away. I phoned one person in particular that I knew would be quite open to this technology and they've been very good. And then they said, right, you need type approval. So we worked across type approval and we got four to our systems fully approved worldwide and we have the MCA. And now we're just starting to, we're, the company's been in R&D. Uh, well, Jason and Kirsten has been in R&D for it for about 14 years, I'm led to believe. Uh, so I'm small fry at two and a bit years in this. But uh, but we're ready to go now and we're sticking our system on the boats. One, for emissions, we're reducing emissions on the boats. We're an emission company. But how we deal with the emissions at the engine side is there's a couple of byproducts. One's fuel savings, Jim. Um most boats now are running very good on a 10% fuel saving. But if you're burning two, 3,000 litres a week, 10% is 10%. Um, once you understand the system a little bit more, you can achieve more. But we don't say any more than 10% because if we say too much more, it's like a kid going into a sweet shop and having free rain. And then you're taking a kilo of sweets from them coming out the door. So... <clears throat> We won, whilst we was in Scotland, Ecomotus, Ecopro won product of the year with the Fishing News Awards, which um, uh, we went up against a, a Scottish product. Uh, and I think the Scottish product was, nose was put out of joint because the award was in Aberdeen, but it was a public vote and we won, you know, and we, we can't believe it, but one being um, shortlifted and two winning it a few, a few weeks ago. So... And we're working at government level uh, across Scotland. Unfortunately, with Scotland, uh, with Marine Scotland, there's no funding for boats. They're, they're putting a lot of pressure on the Scottish fleet to go green, uh, Jim, and reduce their carbon, but there's no funding, and we're hoping to change that. In England, with the Marine Management Organisation money fast, we can get 50% um, funding for our system on, on England registered vessels, but Wales and Northern Ireland has got the same problem. So now my role more so within the industry is probably kind of keeping the boats fishing more so and reducing their costs. Um, and if I That's get called up... important. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, I moaned when it went to about nine pence a litre. You know, now, say on average in the mid-80s and just... And it ain't going to take much to tip the balance. If the price of fish stays as it is, the boats continue fishing. But if the price of fish goes, you know, there's a lot of boats tied up now because of price of fuel. They're looking how to go to sea more efficient and picking their days, picking slack tides, using the tides of the tone a lot more instead of pushing against the tides. So, you know, the future now is, um, you know, to try to get our system on these boats to give them a chunk of savings with fuel. Uh, there's other savings as well on top of that. But uh, if we don't keep these boats going and support them in some which shape or form, I'm not going to have anything to stand up on stage with to, to promote any rate. So I've kind of reversed a little bit to go to the boats and just try to keep them fishing, really. Well... I mean, one of the biggest, the two now, but uh, the biggest concerns, one's just uh, claimed on top of the other, 
quota with they've been cut and cut and it's coming up becoming a real problem now and 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 now with the fuel price increase on top of that it's a real concern i mean you're talking about two three thousand liters a week i was on a boat yesterday adrian and scrapster and he's he, he would he takes seventy thousand liters and he was also the skipper was also telling me I'll not unfair I'll not be unfair and mention the port names, but he compared the price. He came to Scrabster, he got a comparison on fuel, and the difference was seven pence a liter. Yeah, it's ridiculous. No, we we, we yeah, you know we are on boats doing two three thousand liters. You'll have to pass my number on to him if he's just chucked in seventy thousand liters. Imagine a ten percent saving on him. You know, absolutely. So, yeah. you know, we are talking to some of the the bigger boats up in the Shetlands at the moment as well. But um, the industry needs all the help it can get, really. Uh, but it's like fuel at the pumps. Why does motorway garages always charge more than a, a town forecourt? You know, it doesn't make sense, does it? And where's the cap and where's the support for the fishing industry? Um, you know, the pressures are on the POs and the and the, and the managers of the, the fleets and the companies to reduce their efforts, but there's no support for that effort. You know, and hopefully, Ecomotus can give them some port support with fuel funding over the next four to five to six years, and to reduce the emissions and the carbon footprint. Where there's a, a, a few different bodies now saying about the carbon release on the bottom now, isn't there? So hopefully, the our carbon. You know, we can reduce the carbon footprint within the fleet and costs to just a, so they can make a living, really. So how how does this work, Adrian? It's hydrogen. Yeah, it's <clears throat> we produce hydrogen um, out of diagnosed water, uh, and the best place to store hydrogen is water. Um, so we do it on demand. So basically, we go aboard a boat, Jim. Uh, our system is priced on what it's burning per hour, uh, or if it's if they know the twenty-four hour burn, we just divide it by twenty-four hours. So the system would go on the boat, and we're standalone technology. Um, we don't need the engine manufacturer's permission to go aboard the boats if the boat's engine's under warranty but most engine manufacturers only put one year warranty on the on the vessel so after a year we can go aboard um it's standalone technology so we put what we could it's called a knock reader on side of the engine by the block it in that tells our electronics the frequency of where the cylinder head or where the piston is in that cylinder head if if the engine's under load, or it's towing, or it's steaming, or it's idling, our electronics then, through our uh, intelligent electronics, I should say, it tells the hydrogen production system how much hydrogen to produce in real time. Now, um, I won't go into it too much because the technology is 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 really secure and really patented. But we put hydrogen in then into the air filter, okay, uh, and then the natural combustion then brings the hydrogen into the cylinder head, 
then all we basically do is break the carbon chain down to burn all the fuel. So we're burning all the fuel in in the cylinder head, which then reduces the emissions going out the exhaust, uh, gives better fuel because we're burning all the fuel. We're not squirting loads in. You're burning all of it. Um, all our systems are remotely monitored, um, so we can go into any system uh, if if it's you know we're in on on tractors and boats and Jason and the team can look then if we need to increase the hydrogen production in real time so we can adjust it all the way through uh, and hopefully uh, we're starting our new tier three roadmap in the next couple of weeks uh, to issue. Uh, certification for these engines, existing engines, they're meeting new tier three requirements. So it's it's quite in depth. I, I learn about it every single day. But uh, it's a a South Devon invention, an England invention that can change all marine engines if it's outboards or, or you know e- even shore base with the trucks and vans and stuff like that. So that's good. Where I sit now. Good. Going to a fisherman just now and saying that you can one reduces energy costs and 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 reduce the emissions is win win. Yeah, yeah. Well, Marine Scotland needs to understand that we're lobbying them, and the fisherman has given them some stick up there because it's still MMO money. Uh, you know, we've uh, through fast funding down in um, in England. You know, and that's the uh, fisheries and seafood scheme. Uh, you know, they're running this for three years. Um, uh, so most boats get 50%. There's a handful under 12 metres static that get 80%. Um, and I've written a letter to Victoria Prentice saying, why don't you just do 80% across the board of all UK vessels? You're putting pressure on them, release the money to do that. Um, so we've got a chance to get our teeth in you know we've got funding uh you know there's boats signing up and do the funding now we're on some big companies we know we're talking to a couple of big scottish companies now but it comes down to their money uh, but we do give uh when kirsten sends out the quote you'll get a three-year prediction of what you're saving so in if if you're burning a lot of fuel after year three, you know, you've saved a significant amount of money. And if you even doing 5% or even you can get up to the 20% fuel saving, and we've got some boats up to 20%. You know, it's huge, huge amount of money. These, these fleets can massive. save massive and hopefully by the yeah. end of the year, make them tier three compliant, which is our next big move. But it's a lot of work to work through the legislation of that. But, um, but we're, we're slowly getting through it, like you know. So yeah, I mean, it's really unfortunate to hear you saying that, but it's not of not of no surprise to me about Marine Scotland because they just lost their way. I mean, I was told earlier today, you know, for compliance, regulation, all that, the whole for all their cover in Scotland. And they've been reduced to twenty-seven staff. The yes, rest are all on. The rest are all on renewables. Yeah, yeah. But it's all right putting pressure on an industry, but you've got to back that pressure up with something, with support or money. It's, it's all right saying, "Yeah, right, right, 
you've got to reduce your carbon footprint on that boat now to meet the new requirements. But, you know, give them some money to get there. <laughs> Just don't tell them and then let them worry well, about it. You know. That's one of the other problems fishermen in Scotland have just now because with the concerns they have and real difficulties, they have a government that are washing their hands with them and have, they have no interest. It's no. really quite disturbing. No, we got loads of inquiries up there. You know, um, as I say, you know, we've been up and back and forth. You know, we're hoping to start off on one boat in the Shetlands, Scalloway. Uh, hopefully in the next three or four weeks, and that could probably lead on to more. But they're always on about funding because they know there's fast funding in England, and that's where the unfair bit comes from because MMO still fund Marine Scotland, so why don't they just fund them more and let Marine Scotland, seeing your satin scraps now, let's say it, drift it through to the fishermen, like, you know. So, but you know, we bumped into Marine Scotland at the Skipper Expo and had a good chat with them. The MCA is all ready to go up there. But it's yeah. just getting that money through, isn't it? Just trying to trickle a bit of it well, through to them. That's, 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 you're well on the way if you've got the MCA behind you. Yeah, no, the MCA are very supportive of us and understand it. They've um, seen it's such new technology for the marine industry. Um, they've given every vessel once installed five-year exemption uh, for any future uh, surveys or DTIs or class. Some of the boats are going over class now, aren't they? And so, yeah, no, the MCA, I know they do what they do, but to us, we hug them. <laughs> we like them because they're very supportive yeah, towards us and they've been absolutely marvellous, to be fair, with such new well, technology, great, like, you know. I would like to think it's been that way because they can see what you're what you've got. There, this obviously sounds very exciting. Yeah, we were talking to your boatyards up there, and you know, as soon as we can get the tier three signed off, it'll be on every boat coming out the yards up there, and especially in England, the alternative is not it is far far more expensive, and it's not really environmentally healthy. You know, we've had blue in what they call SCRs, Jim and. But you know we can that it's that's costing them more money to go green because you've got to buy the ad blue and it's costing more on fuel to run the SERs where we can go aboard in a meter and a bit by a foot and a half wide and produce hydrogen on demand, no structural changes, no stability changes. Or just go in an engine room, boat it on. Six hours later, you can start up and re, you can start reaping the the benefits of the system, like you know. Um, I can't help saying, Adrian, that uh, your it's your it's your experience again, and going back to your days at fishing. This uh, you you can see that this, you know, you, you obviously know the industry, you know the fishing, and you know this will work. Yeah, I'll tell you what we had a I won't mention names, but we had an awkward skipper up out of Peterborough. Uh, not Peter, but uh, Fraser Brewer or one of them, Peter Red or one of them. Um, we went aboard it in his 60s, long in the tooth, rustic as rustic it ever can be. It's like me giving you that tip uh, the, other, the other couple of months ago about the crab. I said, if it didn't work out, I'm not annoying a chef. I'm annoying a Scottish chef. I can't have that, can I? <laughs> so, <laughs> and within five minutes of talking to him, and explaining 
if he's, you know, and you took it away. I said, where do you fish? Then? Oh, no, we went through there a load of pots once and all that lot. And got, you know, and it's just having that communication and breakdown and just understanding it don't make a difference. You know, it's a very fickle business to be in, isn't it? <laughs> you just got to talk there, let and talk, talk on this, their same wavelength. With this hydrogen and stuff like that, is, uh, do, have the tanks on board? No. No, it's non-pressurized, non-tanked. Uh, we store it in water and we produce hydrogen from electrolysis. So it's non-pressurized. There's no tanks. Engine starts. Our system starts up. The engine switch off. We switch off. There's no infrastructure on shore. You're not plugging it in. You're not filling anything up. It's just run off a di nose water at about 20p a week to run. A Beamer probably use about, or a big, one of the bigger boats up there is probably using three quarters to a litre of a litre of water to produce what it needs to produce. So, no, just boat on, plumb in, turn on and go, you know, um, with all the correct paperwork in place, I might add. <laughs> I'm going to give you a few. I'm going to send you a few email, uh, phone numbers. Yeah, no, send us some numbers, Jim. Yeah, and if we're at that neck of the woods, make sure you've got Scottish produce on your plate or we're not going to eat with you. <laughs> <laughs> no. Adrian, I'll tell you, you know, I've just said to some, you know, I, I've i been asked, or oh, do, do I use any of this foreign frozen at sea? And my answer was, my father, who is a fisherman, unfortunately he's not with us now, he's buried in, in our home village, Helmsdale, which is 70 miles away from Scrabster. And I, I know that if I use one piece of foreign fish, he, he would start spinning so much that, that I would hear feel the vibration 70 miles away in Scrabster. Yeah, you just <laughs> so, couldn't do it, could you? I could no. not do it. No, no. Just, no. That is and like selling your soul to the devil, isn't it? You just couldn't do it. Could it's exactly <laughs> what I also quote, yeah. selling your soul to the devil. If we had and to, my good, with it being Russian fish just now, well, that's even more yeah. true because the devil, we're seeing him every day what he's up to. Oh, no. Well, the pharaohs are still letting them fish in their waters, you know. <laughs> Put, yeah, that's a real put a bone stop of their contention. Fishing in the pharaohs, and the fact that there's a agreement between the pharaohs and the UK, you're getting them on the border and almost coming into the UK yeah. sector, which is just outrageous. I don't know. I don't know. It's the oldest fishing is the oldest one of the oldest industries, and it's the most least popular industry. Nobody wants us anymore, do they? Nobody wants us anymore, no. do they? And it's, it's, it's oh, I wild. don't believe that. I, I can remember, that. just People. briefly, you know, before we finish up, I can remember bringing the Creole into Weymouth one night and the donkey engine's running and I had, a, you know, a belly full of crab and lobster. And this guy shouted down off the quay and he was a Londoner. He said, can you turn that off? I said, I've just bought that flat and I can't sleep. And I said, well, you give me 15 grand and I'll turn it off. I said, until that, I said, no. And he made a massive hoo-ha over it, you know. And I said to him, I said, you've just bought, a, a, you know, a flat in a working harbour, a working fishing harbour. I said, what? And he pushed and pushed and pushed. 
to put plugins. So once you come alongside now, you've got to you plug the engine. This was back in the 90s, my 96, 97, you know, and I thought then change is happening, change is happening back then. You know, and now you go to Weymouth, there's a few little boats in there, like most harbours, just marinas and yachts and the fishing boats are getting squeezed and squeezed and squeezed, didn't they, you know? And it's, but the harbours were built up on fishing, wasn't it? Fishing and importing and exporting goods, but you know. I'm surprised you're not telling me you were squeezing and squeezing and squeezing them with your hand round his <laughs> neck. <laughs> No, I think I, could, I think it was a lawyer, if I remember rightly. <laughs> I don't think Jim I could have strangled him. <laughs> I must admit, though, if you want to strangle everybody in Orange, we'd be all locked up in one cell, wouldn't we? Be doing this from bloody Wentworth or something, wouldn't we? <laughs> you can't do it. Yeah, You've got to be bigger no. than them. <laughs> no, well, I would just like to follow up, finish up by thanking you so much for the coming on the show and uh, it's really interesting. There's so and such a future, you know, that with the hydrogen and that, my goodness, you're, you're on board something that's got an eye to the future and it's going to be so, so important the way things are going. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny well, where, credit, credit. where life takes you. It's taken me from crab to hydrogen. So, um, you know, and, Every day I get up, it's always different, always new, always learning. And it seems to be where, you know, I'll always carry on with fishing into the future as, as vice chair. I think we get three years at that. I don't think I'll ever be brave enough to make chair. Um, but I'm proud to be connected to them. You know, I'm certainly proud to be connected to Ecomotus and what we can do with the with the industry. And, and life is not boring, Jim. It's certainly not boring. I can see that, but also it must be make you feel good. Yet it's almost like you're in a position that you're able to put something back into the industry. Yeah, I, I thought I could do it by selling crab and lobsters and seafood, but obviously, you know, now focus is on the boats. You know, the the focus has got to be the boats, especially the position that Ecomotors is in with the industry. You know, and I enjoyed Saturday cutting up some scallops and frying up a bit of skirt and picking a crab in my teaspoon. But I think that might be slowly coming to an end uh, and be a little bit more choosy where I do that because my time is certainly, you know, full on now with, with, with Ikimotis for sure. Like, you know. Okay. Thank you very much, Adrian. No, no. Uh, brilliant. Well, thanks for inviting us, Jim. I, I, I've enjoyed this. No, I must admit, I've really enjoyed uh, it. Well, it's been really, really interesting. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Seafood Matters Podcast. You can subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can join me on Instagram and Facebook by searching for at Seafood Matters Podcast. If you have any questions or episode suggestions, please email me at jim at seafoodmatterspodcast.com or get in touch through my website, seafoodmatterspodcast.com.